Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Grateful for another chance to, to live another day and to learn something else new. Your Word is just so rich. Fathers, we study today and it's really what we're going to do. Open our eyes, cause us to see Jesus in a light perhaps we never saw him before and we'll give you all the honor and all the glory and the church says Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4 Luke chapter 4 beginning with the first verse Luke says Then Jesus Jesus had been Jesus all of his life But something had happened just a few verses earlier that changed everything. And it's described in this next clause as this, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was always Jesus, but his life was not changed until he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And many of you, Christ has been formed in you. When you die, you're going to heaven. Jesus lives on the inside. But until you step into this next encounter with the Holy Spirit, you have not yet seen the type of change God has ordained. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, we're just backing up a few verses from where we are. And this is going to help us get a little context as we look at these verses. It says, when all the people were baptized. Now we know that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And the water that people went down under represented the cleansing that came after they turned to God and uh, uh, admitted their guilt. It says here, and it came to pass, now people were being baptized because they were repenting. But then strangely enough, Jesus shows up. And it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. Didn't John say somewhere else that when Jesus came to him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, we know that the lambs were supposed to be spotless without blemish and fault. We know that the Lamb of God was to be a sinless individual. But here we see Jesus showing up to be baptized. Jesus had nothing to repent of. Jesus had never done wrong. But here's the point. Jesus began his ministry identifying with sinners as he ended his life suffering in the place of sinners. God did not become man just to rub our faces in our mess. He he became a man to, 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 to help us clean it up. So when Jesus came to earth, he didn't come looking down his nose. He came identifying with us fully. And he embraced us even in our mess. It says Jesus himself came and was baptized. But while he prayed, something happened that happened to no one else who had ever been baptized by John. And while he prayed, the Bible said the heavens open. Now, the Talmud teaches us that the rabbis in Jesus' time taught that with the death of Malachi and and Zechariah and Haggai, the last prophets of the Old Testament, that God had, had, had stopped speaking and the Holy Spirit had left Israel. And what they say is all that was left is what they called secondary revelation that they received from the rabbis, but there was no real prophetic voice. 
But here we see after 400 years of no one authoritatively hearing from God, only, you know, suggestions, ideas, and thoughts, all of a sudden, Scripture says, when he prayed, the heaven was what? Open. This was absolutely momentous to people that wanted to, to hear the voice of God again. But this time, it would not be uh, through the prophets like in the past. This time, God would speak absolutely and authoritatively through his son. And the Holy Spirit, the skies open. And when it opened, it just didn't open for naught. The Holy Spirit began to descend in bodily form like a dove upon him. Now, the Holy Spirit could have taken on lots of characteristics, but he took on this characteristic in order to, to communicate something to us. How many of you have ever been to the park and had pigeons land next to you? Yeah. Pigeons land anywhere. Pigeons, you know, I, when I went to school in, in D.C., and, and they would go right up. they walk on your feet and all the rest. Pigeons typically are not afraid of people. Pigeons, particularly park pigeons, can become quite comfortable around people. But turtle doves, who are the cousins of pigeons are quite different. Turtle doves are very reclusive creatures. They tend to shy away from people. They perch on high mounts and, and, and branches, and, and they only uh, flock with their own. So when the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven in the form of a dove, and instead of being repelled by this man, instead of running or fleeing from this man, he comes down and rests on him as if to say, Jesus is one of my own. Do you understand? It was significant that it wasn't a pigeon. A dove came down and embraced the Savior as part of the divine flock here. And when that happened, he said, and a voice came from heaven. So we see again, Jesus prayed, the Holy Spirit descended. But then the Father spoke. But the way I read it, it would sound like it happened in order. But actually, when you look at the original language, we find that it happened simultaneously, all at the same time and in the same space. One of the most powerful pictures of the, of the triunity of God in all of Scripture. We see all of God present at the same place, at the same time, different persons doing different things, but still God altogether. It was marvelous. And this voice came from heaven, and it said, you are my beloved son, meaning this man was not a prophet like others. He was the very Messiah, the son of the living God. And he said, in you, this is what I've been trying to get to for centuries. Moses did his thing, Jeremiah did his thing, but, but you're the fellow I've been trying to get to. It's in you that I am what? Well pleased. God absolutely had no reservations about the son. He completely and unconditionally uh, uh, released Jesus as his representative and as his voice. Now we can read Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, with a little bit of understanding. Let, let's turn there. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, after again 400 years of silence, God was now authoritatively speaking, not just giving someone an impression, not just giving someone an idea. God was literally speaking through the man, Jesus Christ, like none other in history. And sometimes silence has a way of underscoring things. You know, just like some of those protests you watch on television, I, I watched them lay down, uh, I don't know if it was in Times Square, wherever it was in, in New York City, and there was silence. And, and, and just like when God created there, there was silence. And then God said, and you know, when, when there's complete silence and a hush, 
When someone speaks, it, it just makes it much more pronounced than it would be otherwise. Does that make sense? When everybody's speaking, you know, it, 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 you, you kind of just hear a rumble. But when it's complete silence, and it, Jesus was significant. He was not just a prophet, the son of God. So God said, listen, I want everyone to be silent. Because when he speaks... You are going to hear the authority of heaven like no other time in history. 400 years of shh. And then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it said he returned to the Jordan, the place where he was just baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is important because this is where a lot of folks get things mixed up. They, they stumble at this point. You know, when God's spirit lands on us, when God anoints us, when, when we experience his presence, we, we, ex we expect God to immediately take us to the top. We expect, you know, all of our problems to go away. We just expect, you know what, this thing's going to be fixed. I'm, I'm just going to make it like there'll be no issues. But, but if you read your Bible, and if you read it carefully, the way to the promised land is always through the wilderness. The way to the promised land was through the desert. There's no other pattern in Scripture. And before Jesus could step into purpose and promise, he had to have a wilderness experience. Many of us are shocked by our wilderness experience. We're like, why, God? Why? Like, wait, wait, read the book. Anyone that wants to do anything for God, the only way you can get to where God wants you is via the wilderness. We just covered this a couple weeks ago. Yea, though I walk through the what valley of the shadow. Well, you walk through it because you're on your way somewhere. Yeah. You don't camp out there, but you do walk through it. And was led by the who? Spirit. We, we think that because the anointing of God is on us, we shouldn't go through nothing. But we see the Holy Spirit himself led Jesus into trouble. He led him into the wilderness. This was, listen, God didn't even change this pattern for Jesus. So don't, don't, don't look at your neighbor, just look straight ahead. If he wouldn't change that for Jesus, why do you think he ought to change that for you? How is it you so wonderful, you don't have to go through nothing in life because you got saved and, and God failed and he fell off the throne and he's unfaithful because you got a little bit of problem. But, 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 did you read your book? If Jesus had to go through a wilderness... And then after a wilderness, a cross, please explain to me why you're so surprised by the things you face in life. You see, if you got, you know, if you're, if you're a real tractor and you got a real tractor motor in there, you don't say, oh, there's so much dirt, there's so much mess. How am I? No, no, no. That's what you got the engine for. And the Holy Spirit comes in us not just to make it easy, but to get a job done. So he was empowered by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. If God didn't change for Jesus, his perfect, spotless son, why would we think it would be different for us? He was led by the Spirit into this, this place, the desert, the wilderness. You know, the, the wilderness is a lonely place. There are no 7-Elevens in the wilderness. It, it, it's a dangerous place. There are animals out there. There used to be lions in, in, in Israel, and there's snakes out there. And it, it, it's a, it was a dry place because it was also, mostly, it was, it was a desert region. But it's only in the wilderness that God teaches us not to take shortcuts. 
Many of us want to go right through the, to, to the throne, but Jesus recognized the throne came only after the cross. And many of us want to, want to step into purpose. We want to step into what we might call the good life. And we're shot by the fact that the road to the other side is paved sometimes with some difficulty and some challenges. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Some, some, some of us, God has led us into marriages and, oh God, why? Right? But it's part of process. It's part of process. You know, my wife, she was born in another country and when she came to the U.S., she had to be processed. I mean, you know, once they received us, she had to still go through a process. And I know you're citizens of the kingdom, but there's still a process. You see, she, she's still becoming, I don't, I don't want to do too much, she's becoming Americanized. But that's a process. Don't do too much, though, because we, we got some mess over here. But when we enter the kingdom of heaven, we also have to go through a process to become kingdomized, if you will. To, to, to become like God and, and to, to, to behave and act like a citizen of the kingdom ought. You see, it's in the wilderness that God breaks our self-sufficiency. It, it, it's in the wilderness that he, he, he breaks our self-promotion. It's in the wilderness that we, we learn the art of depending on God alone. Because in the wilderness, nobody can pray for you. Nobody can encourage you. The only thing you got is, is you and God. And I know when you're in that place, you feel the church has failed you. You feel your friends have failed you. But really, the Holy Spirit led you there on purpose. Stop blaming the people around you. You're in the middle of process. You're in process. The first service was the same way. I, I know it's going to be that type of Sunday. But I'll encourage myself in the Lord. And while he was there, he was tempted for 40 days. The Spirit of God led him to a place where he had to deal with the devil. But, I, but, but you, no, no, no. You shouldn't have to deal with the devil. Something gone wrong, you got to face the devil. But Jesus, he was tempted not for five minutes, not for 40 minutes, not for a week, 40 days by the devil. Here's something I know. If you're not tested, you shouldn't be trusted. I know, I know you're special. But if you're not tested, you have no business being trusted, no exceptions. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. it's, it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But if Jesus had to be tested before he was trusted and he was perfect, what you think about you and I, how much more do we need to be processed? Jesus got it done in 40 days and 40 nights, but it might take us 40 years because of the likes of, you know what I'm saying? But we're upset that God didn't fix it in, in four minutes. And in those days, Jesus ate nothing. Here's the deal. Jesus could have fixed this situation like that. All he had to do was go back home. And, and I believe Mary could cook. I believe, you know, the Bible says she was blessed above all women. Mary could cook. All he had to do was, was walk back home and get some food. But watch this. It says, in those days he ate nothing. And you say, why? Well, see, that's what the whole test was about. 
True submission happens when you have other options but choose God anyway. Jesus could have. But he said, not my will, Lord. That, that wasn't the first time he said that in his heart when we heard it at Gethsemane. It was a cry of his heart throughout his entire ministry. And you know, submission doesn't begin until you disagree. And when his body was screaming at him, man, you need some food. When, you know, after 40 days, you start dying, literally. I mean, you start eating your muscle and the rest. And his, his body was screaming. But he said, you know what? More important than the way I feel and even what's happening in my body is your will, oh God. The Bible says he chose. Listen, I have fasted at times in my life because I had no money to eat. But Jesus, he, listen, there were things he could, in his own power, he could have fixed that thing, even without walking home. But he possessed his own power, and he ate what? Nothing. And then watch this. Lest you think that this was some spiritualized metaphor. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. I mean, it was his literal hunger. And here's another, another thing you need to pay attention to. Jesus had the right to eat. He had the right to eat. God didn't make him give up sin. God asked him to let go of something that he had a right to. Many of us stop with God when it comes to sin. You know, there's, okay, Lord, help me overcome this sin, that sin, but it stops there. But I, I know you're saying, where, where are you going, Bishop? Just because you have a right to do it doesn't mean you should do it. Sometimes the greatest sacrifice is doing something I don't have to do. It's when I say, Lord, I have a right to go left. I know hardship is if I go right. I know it will please you more if I go right. I know I have a right to go left, though. But when I make that decision, Lord, I'm going to go your way. Lord, you, Lord, Paul did the same thing. Every man has a right. Well, I guess, yeah. I'm trying to make sure my language is correct. We have rights to be married. But Paul knew that he had to make a choice. If he married a woman, she was going to receive love letters from him from jail, talking about how they beat him last week, how he was cold on a dungeon floor. He would be gone three years out of, you know, their marriage and have to write a letter saying, honey, we still married, you know, those types of things. But here's the deal. He had a right to have a wife, but he chose to obey God and answer the call. And the greatest sacrifices are often when you, when, when you have a choice and, and God can bless you this way, but you know he'd be more pleased if you go that way. And when you make the choice to obey him in spite of what you can get away with, in spite of what you might have a right to do, Jesus went way beyond the call of duty. He, he didn't just do what he had to do. Jesus' heart was not the minimum. Lord, whatever it takes to please you. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. Skip to verse 13. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The devil's the same, just like God's the same. God doesn't change, and the devil seems to be the same devil he's always been. He shows up the strongest in our, our, our greatest moments of weakness or humanness. Jesus here was not immorally weak in any sense, but he was human. And his humanness made him vulnerable. And in his greatest point of vulnerability, that's when Satan, he literally showed up where Jesus could, could, could actually see his face. Satan is the ultimate opportunist. He has an insatiable appetite for our destruction. He, you see, he doesn't usually come at you in your area of strength. 
He comes at you in your area of weakness. And, and, and he's mean and he has no compassion. And he'll hurt you and not shed a tear if you let him. Jesus confronted this character worse than, than any, you know, horror movie, than any of those, those bad characters. Worse than any of Jesus literally stood in the presence of death. And, and, and interesting, he had a right to be home. He had a right to, to, to go on and lead his life and do something. But instead, he chose to do the will of the Father. I, I don't know why I'm harping on this, but I'm, I'm trying to move on. But, but some of y'all keep talking about, I have a right. I have a right. You're shallow. Your, your, your relationship with God is about an inch deep. You know, I have a right to do a whole lot of things other than what I'm doing today. But it's not about what I want to do as much as what God has assigned me to do. You hear what I'm saying? When I go home to be with the Lord, he's not going to reward me necessarily for my rights, but for my sacrifice. Our relationship with God has to go a little bit deeper. Now, verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed for an opportune time. Then Jesus returned, watch this, in the power of the spirit. You see, it's only if we're faithful in the dry places, if we're faithful in the lonely places, that God can trust us with his power. It didn't say Jesus had power when he was baptized. He had the affirmation of God, but not power. Power came after the wilderness. So you're crying about your desert experience. I'll cry with you. I get you. I, I know what that feels. I'm, 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 I'll cry with you. But here's the deal. The depth of your wilderness experience is going to determine the power that you have when you get out. The more it's seeing the devil trying to hurt you and harm you, the greater your gifting is going to be on the other side. So when I hurt the most, I'm learning in my older age to say, God, you must have something good coming out of this. Lord, Lord, when I get to the other side of this, Lord, this hurts so bad. Lord, it, it, it got to be something. The power came on Jesus, not while he was banging nails. Didn't even come when he was baptized. The real power came after he went through the wilderness in a dry place. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Notoriety only came after his conformity. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. A lot of folks say, you know, I want to be known. I, I want to be popular. I want, I want to be seen. Well, do you? Until you learn how to submit in the face of other options. Uh, until you learn to, to keep walking with God, even in the wilderness, you're not ready. You're not ready. The higher the platform God puts you on is the more embarrassed you could become if you fall from it. The higher you go, the longer you can fall. So what God does, he say, listen, what I want to do is I need to develop your character. I know the anointing's easy. God, that's God's part. It's the character piece. You know, I, I often say to God, I say, Lord, don't, don't let my gift take me when my character can't keep me. That's what happens with many. We, we, we get positions, but our private life is so messed up. You hear what I'm saying? That, that, that we get embarrassed, and, and it's a public embarrassment when, when you're on that, that level. You hear what I'm getting at? Church, in order for Jesus, if this was true of Jesus, but in order for Jesus to step into true power, he had to go through a dry season. And I'm saying this, don't be surprised by your dry season. Don't be surprised when the, the devil shows up in your weakness and, and your frailty and, and he's in your ear. No, that's part of the process. But if you choose God in the midst of that, you will experience the same thing Jesus experienced. He left there in the power of the Spirit. 
You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.